0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 162. Look at that. We're flying through them, aren't we? Thank you for tuning in, guys. Um, how are you? I mean, you you can't answer that because you're listening to me. Um, and I've recorded this like a week ago anyway. So ignore that. Ignore, Ignore the how are you and let's focus on Today's podcast. In fact, I'm going to tell you loads of things before we get to today's podcast. Today's po- podcast is, is 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 with Alice Lowe, who's fantastic, um, and I was very very excited to to have on. I did a thing a while ago asking for people to recommend guests, and Alice Alice Lowe was one of the people that uh, was recommended. And I'm a big fan of Alice. Um, I loved her in Garth Meringue, um, Dark Place in S- S- sightseers and in prevenge which we talk about a lot because um that's what was had just come out when we recorded this a couple of weeks ago it's also worth a mention um that she's got a new f- a f- film out called the ghoul um with tom meaton and uh, and directed by gareth tunley um so yeah i recommend you go and check that she's she didn't have that out when we talked about it, when we met up to talk, so uh, it's not really plugged, but it comes out um, in cinemas in the UK on, on, what what day is it? On Friday, on August f- f- 4th. It's produced by Ben Wheatley, who I, wa- I want to get on the podcast, because he's amazing. Um, but b- yes, so this podcast is out today. It's my birthday tomorrow, August 3rd. And then the ghoul is out on Friday, if anyone fancies that. So that's worth a look. Um, Things I've got to tell you about. When I did... I released... Uh, uh, last year, I released Distraction Pieces Podcast, the book. And it became an Unexpected Times bestseller. And part of that was I did a, a Distraction Pieces tour. So I did live podcasts and... I think what's good about the Distraction Pieces podcast is it's intimate conversation. So I don't think that would translate on stage. So the way I do the live ones, I've done, I did a live one in London last year and the year before, is you guys are the guests. So I'll kind of come out and chat for a minute or two. um, And then you kind of have to form an orderly queue and you get to come on stage and ask a question or pick a topic for discussion and we'll have a little chat. So rather than it just being passing a mic into the crowd or anything, you come up and we sit down and we have a discussion. And, and they've gone down a really a, a well in the past. But um, a thing that m- me and Dan Lesac always had when we toured and a thing that I had on my, on my solo tours was we'd end every tour in Ireland because... a a brief bit of history of me musically a lot of you, you you won't know but when we started out touring we went to Ireland and at that point we learned that people only tended to go to Ireland and play Dublin maybe Dublin and Belfast but we went and played Cork and Limerick and 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 all these other amazing places and Galway our home away from home um and Derry and everywhere and it meant we always had this really good feverish following in Ireland, so we always insisted on the tours that we ended in Ireland. Now, the book tour was a different thing because I just had I had to go essentially where the publishers told me to go, so we didn 't make it to do the distraction pieces podcast in Ireland so th- this year i decided i 'm not going to do any live distraction pieces podcast. I know a few people will be hoping for a London announcement soon because it 's normally. August, September, October, I do them, but I've no plans to to do one, although I will be popping along to the Hardcore Listing podcast live on August 10th at the Hoxton Bar and Kitchen and hopefully Tuesday Night Jaw live on September 9th at the London Podcast Festival. Anyway, yes, so uh, so I decided earlier in the year I'm not going to do any this year. I'm just swamped. I've got so many projects I'm working on. But then my good friend Leagues O'Toole who's always booked me and Dan in in Dublin and is just a top, top guy and a good friend. He he emailed me saying, I'm doing a podcast festival in Dublin. Do you fancy coming and doing the distraction pieces? And I said, leagues, mate, I've got so much on. I've got a few different potential acting gigs that would mean that if they came in, I couldn't do it. I really can't it's not a good idea I sent that email and then I immediately sent another email saying oh go on in let's do it um, so we're doing it um, on September on Thursday September 21st um, I will be at the Tiv-o- Tivoli Theatre Tivoli that sounds a lot more Irish I'll be at the Tivoli Theatre in Dublin doing a live Distraction Pieces podcast. You can buy tickets now, as it's the first ever one over there. I'm really hoping it sells well, and you guys swoop and come out, because it'll be great to see you all. Um, Obviously, I'll be knocking about, like anyone who's come to any of my live shows knows, I'll be knocking about afterwards to sign stuff. I'll probably have a merch table. I'll sign stuff, have photos, do the whole meet and greet thing. That's, That's free. That comes with the price of the ticket. So, yeah, hugely excited to announce that. Distraction Pieces podcast live in Dublin on September 21st. And another announcement. I mean, I should mention, (laughs) this is just, this feels like tons of plugs and adverts. The Distraction Pieces podcast, as ever, is brought to you by um, com. We're coming to the end of the, of the, of the, of the, the, oh God, I've got a start. We're coming to the end of the summer. Um, I'd really like to to sell as much of our darks summer wear as we can. So we've got swimsuits men and women. We've got sunglasses. The sunglasses probably by the time this podcast comes out might be be sold out, but if not swooping and get them. They've been the insane hit of the summer and they've inspired me with my plans for our dark a winter range which will come soon. But yeah, head over there and check them out. But what a lot of you have been waiting for. Again, this is a long intro. I'm sorry guys. Um, last year, I teamed up with a trainer company called um, OHW, which is who who backwards OHW question um, mark, and I designed some trainers. And I was hugely excited because, man, getting to design a pair of trainers is is insane. And unexpectedly, the limited run sold out in pre order, so before they were even even released. So we we decided that we would do. Full range, um, and the original run we only did guys' uh, shoes. So on this run, we decided we'd do guys and girls, two designs for guys and two designs for girls. And I, I want to just quickly get in the fact that on the girls' front, I I, I refuse to make them girly in any any uh, way. I'm afraid the fact is the original design had a lot of love from girls saying they'd love to have had them in girl sizes so the new design for the girls is based hugely on the original design for guys and the guys one is tweaked a little bit but yeah anyway i'm going to be teasing information about that but they're actually being released on uh on, on 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 wednesday august 30th so i'm just giving you a heads up there i haven't really got a lot of information keep an eye on my Instagram and I'll I'll leak some stuff because they've done some great photo shoots and they look amazing but um yeah also Sage Francis and B. Dolan are literally in the country now. They're in Scotland but they're on this island. They're at the Edinburgh fringe and they're doing their amazing um Sage and B They their, their show is gonna be I don't it's gonna be insane. It's spoken word with some Musical and visual entertainment. It's called Tricknology, um, and it's going to be insane. Just, just take, take, take my word on this. Please go and see it. Um, it's at the Edinburgh Fringe, the fourth until the twenty seventh. New Town Theatre, L- Lower Hall, six thirty five till seven thirty five every day except Mondays. Um, also, Rob Orton's up there. He's up there every year, and he's every year I've been, I've gone to see a, a Rob Orton and it's been either my favourite or one of my favourite shows, so go and check both those, or all three of those homies out. That's probably all I need to say, I'm rambling on tons, that's 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 a loads of stuff. This was a really nice podcast, I was so pleased to be able to line it up, and uh, and make it happen, because as I mentioned, I'm a big, a big fan of Alice, and we arranged to meet in South London, because she had a little bit of time um, spare, because she had... Um, Someone looking after her her new little baby. So, again, I didn't want her to have to travel all the way into Central or out to Essex. So I went and met her in South London. And we had a lovely chat. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'll be back at the end with more information. See you in a bit.
1: we talked about a lot of the similar sort of things recently, so veering off is not a bad thing. That's I've been perfect. On, I've been on a promotional tour of Prevenge so how, for like eight months. How really. are they?
0: Because particularly with the interesting things with f- films, I find, for actors is that it's something that you... It's everything in your life for a certain amount of time, mm. and then it's over, and then you're on to the next project. Yeah. And then when you're really deep into the next project you have to go and be excited about the one that you finished yeah. a year or two ago. Yeah. So, so how is that on the promo runs of getting well, excited? I, about? I it don't
1: think I had a break really because the film was made pretty quickly yeah. and then came out pretty quickly in yeah. relation. Um, and also, I'd had a baby, so I wasn't working on anything else. I was just looking after the baby.
0: Yeah, um, and that's easy, you
1: know. So. Yeah, and that's easy. <laughs> but also, you know, it was my project, so I don't think I had that same jaded yeah, thing that, course. like, George Clooney might have. If, like, there was some film he didn't really like yeah, doing, on to the and next then one kind he's of got thing. to go and promote it around the world because it's yeah. in his contract. So, I kind of, you know, I enjoyed it. I look back on it now, and I go, "My God, that was knackering yeah. doing all of that." Um, but I didn't really know that at the time. It was yeah. only sort of afterwards that I went, oh, I was quite tired. Yeah, that was exhausting. <laughs> so I should add some
0: context. Um, I'm talking to Alice Lowe, and, and, and the film we're talking about at the moment is, is a Prevenge.
1: Prevenge. Um, There's two ways, two schools of pronunciation, but I say revenge.
0: Yeah, I was, I was pleased that <laughs> just before we started rolling, you, you, you mentioned it, therefore I knew which way to say it. That was generally, I was thinking, is it Prevenge or Prevenge? Or, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that is is what you've been on a promo run for. So you probably are sick of talking about it. But it's a fascinating kind of story, and 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 there's a there's a lot I want to know about it. Mm. So we will get yeah, get yeah. go to other stuff t- t- too. Um, I mentioned in our initial conversation, w- in my top five shows ever is Garf Meringe. So I, d- <laughs> I definitely we can get, we're going to be going all over the place. But so revenge. You were pregnant when you were making it. Yes. Um, and it's about someone being pregnant. Yeah. Did you get pregnant purely for the film? Yes. Or was it an...
1: <laughs> I found a sperm donor and I requested it. No, I... I'm well, not Really method. method, really method. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to sort of, you know, do one better than Robert De Niro. Yeah. Because he couldn't
0: it's, get pregnant. It's one but. that I found fascinating, though, because it, 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 it's key to the script and the whole project... So was it an idea you already had and when you became pregnant it came to life? Or was it something you wrote incredibly quickly and could get going whilst whilst pregnant?
1: I I was already pregnant and um, I was developing a film, but I kind of thought because I was pregnant that I wouldn't be able to make a film. I just was like, it's one or the other, have a baby or make a film while I'm having a baby. So I probably will never get to make a film. I actually thought that That, because I was like, who starts their directing career with a small child do you know what i mean and so i was like oh right well it's probably not going to happen and um and then a company came to me and said look we've got private financing um to make a film we really like sightseers which i did a few years ago if you want to make a film with us it could be whatever you like whatever whatever you want to write um and we can shoot it really quickly and i was like oh why is this happening now? <laughs> yes. This is like exactly what I've been looking for to happen to yeah, me. In the last dream, sort of three or four years after making sightseers, I was like, I thought people would be coming to me every week with these yeah. kinds of opportunities, but they weren't really. So, um and I actually said no. Initially I was like, oh, I'm wow. pregnant. Because I was I was quite far along. I was like five, five to six months pregnant when they wow. sort of made this offer. And then I kind of went away and had a little think about it and kind of went oh I actually should do this because I am quite worried about work I don't there's no guarantee I'll ever work again yeah. after having a baby and so I went I kind of had the I've often thought like taxi driver someone should do a female taxi driver yeah so I'd often talked about that actually and then um I thought what would I play as a pregnant character so I was kind of like well if you put those two things together and you sort of get this sort of Misanthropic kind of depressed character who's a loner, but she's pregnant. Yeah, and that would be a sort of female taxi driver. And then I've sort of pitched it to the company as a you know revenge. It's like a revenge movie, but with a pregnant woman. And they were like, "We love it." I was like, "Can we do it in the next two months?" And they were like, "Yes." Amazing. Before I knew it, we were doing it, and there was going to be someone else was going to be directing it. Jamie Adams was going to direct it, and then he was like, "Look, it's your story. I don't think I can tell this story." I love it. He makes rom coms yeah. usually, and so then then I was directing it as well.
0: Well, that's what I found amazing and fascinating about it is obviously it's a very sur- or not even s- surreal. It's a very extreme, unusual story. It's not it's not realism. It's this exaggerated thing, but it is also one of the most real portrayals because <laughs> you generally don't get a portrayal of any kind of. Mental trauma, or depression, or fear mm. of pregnancy in film—you mm. generally get, oh, it's so it's glorious! I'm having a baby. Look, yeah. Or listen to my bump, and all yeah. this kind of, thing. and yeah. you don't have the kind of the worry, the fear, the anxiety, which is part of it as well, and should mm. be addressed. So again, I'm I'm not obviously painting, you know, a massive r- murderous revenge movie as the <laughs> as as the justification or the balance of this, but it did strike me in that way that it was. Striking a blow f- f- for those who get pregnant and go, oh, it's not like I've seen in films or on TV. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, that was why I could write it so quickly because I was in the middle of this experience, and for me, I was already worried about work and I was worried about psychologically what effect it was going to have on me. Whether was I like, going to enjoy it? Like, I'd always had so much freedom yeah. as a as a writer, a performer, whatever. In my job and in my life, I sort of pick and choose what I want to do. If I'm going to be mon- without money, it's fine because it's just me. You of know, I course. won't eat for a few weeks or yeah. whatever. And suddenly, I was like, "Oh, everything's going to change." And I was worried about it. So all of that stuff I put into this metaphor of this woman who's deeply unhappy and is is lo- has lost a big part of her identity, and she's going on to take revenge on society and yeah. stuff. And yeah, so it came really e- easily to me because I think I was psychologically in the middle of that. And for me, it was like I really wanted to tell the story from the inside. I think there are horror films that are about anxieties about pregnancy, yeah, but they're usually from the outside in. I feel like they're kind of someone who's fears pregnancy in someone else, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was sure. like, I want this to be about a woman who's going through these experiences, and also like in a non, um, you know, a non-exclusive way. I, I sort of wanted men, whoever, people who haven't had kids, to be able to watch this and go. Oh, that's how it might feel for me if I was pregnant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it's as strange to, to the audience as it is to this character that she's providing this psychological weird exploration Completely. for the audience,
0: and that makes 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 sense because on 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 the surface at the start it feels like the horror character is 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 the character that you're playing and the person that's going around killing, and as it goes on you realise the horror character is really the child inside of your character and your character's fear of that child is driving everything so it's Mm -hmm. kind of it is this more it's not as simple as it's a crazy pregnant lady it (laughs) kind of the horror really comes is as you said it's all happening internally Mm -hmm. as much as it's manifesting externally because people are getting killed and Mm. there's some horrific injuries poor old Tom Davis, is, <laughs> who's been on the podcast as well, he has a, 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 a rough end. But again, it's, yeah, it was fascinating to see that, that the horror, it's really an internal horror story rather than the more obvious external horror story that drives the, the, the first level of narrative.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I never wanted to... I mean, I, well, this is something that emerged, really. I don't know how much I really planned this, but... You know, I, I think that when you see a horror film quite often, it's a general, it's sort of generally telling a story, like yeah. a like a fairy tale. And it's like, this could happen to anyone. And, and with this story, the more that I made it, the more I realised it was about this one woman, this yeah. one, it, it's everything that's going on in her head, like the music, the sights, the sounds, everything, is psychologically where she is. And it's quite a weird story.
0: Yeah. And I
1: think that was how we could bring together as you said, like this mixture of realism and surrealism, because it's just everything that's happening to her. Is she mad? We don't know. Is she, you know, psychologically affected um, by what's happening to her? And, and yeah, as you say, it's a very, very internal thing, which I think enabled it to, for people to watch it and identify with it weirdly. Yeah. Rather than just going, Oh, she's nothing to do with me. This woman. She's, she's this horrible woman. Some people might watch that. What might watch it in that way and hate, hate her and hate the film. But, you know, I was kind of like, she. she's peculiar. She's an oddity, this yeah. creature, this woman. But weirdly, I think that makes people identify more with her. Yeah. Because she's an outsider and she's
0: Completely. strange. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating one because it's finding... And it's what was done amazingly with uh, sightseers as well, that it's writing characters that are the villain, that are murderous, that mm. are cold-blooded, mm. but written in a really real and warm and genuine way and again e that's the that sounds like to write that you'd have to make it in some way unrealistic but it's not they're, they're, they're all done in very matter-of-fact ways um in revenge and in sightseers. there's no kind of big switch moment as such it's all mm. just okay well this is happening
1: i think i think it's partly what comes from approaching writing or filmmaking as an actor as well is like you know you have to like the characters you play even if they're baddies you know that's kind of i think dustin hoffman says that it's like you when you're playing hitler or you know captain hook or whatever yeah you can't go oh i'm really evil i just walk around being really evil you have to think no i'm the goodie I'm, i'm not the baddie i'm the goodie and so you know if you're coming at it from that point of view when you're writing you sort of love the characters as you're writing them as well. You have yeah. an affection for yeah. them. And I think even in Prevenge, like, all the characters are pretty flawed. Every single person you meet is is problematic yeah. Yeah, in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, completely. But I sort of love them as well. And that was why I wanted to populate the film with my friends, actually. Yeah. You know, people like Joe Hartley and Tom Davis, who I didn't know that well, but, you know, I knew he's kind of a lovable guy so and a lovable, lovable yeah, performer, yeah. you know. So I knew that if you put sort of these lovable people within those characters, even though they're doing sort of despicable things or saying despicable things, you've got this tension then that you, which is real life, you know, that one minute you think someone's amazing and the next minute they do something and you think they're a, you know, a right, I don't know how much you swear in these. You can swear all you like, you can swear all you like, go ahead. I'm too embarrassed to say the word now, but, you know, I think that's real life and it's, it's, it's going against the film structure thing of like having a traditional protagonist antagonist it's like completely and it
0: it, it makes it more engaging in many ways when it is just forcing people to accept that these 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 villains and monsters aren't aren't monsters they're people they're humans Mm. they're normal Mm. people they're not they don't walk around and get up and go oh i'm gonna killer cat mm. and then get, I mean the, the dark things that happen happen as a one-off in what could be a nice life or, or as a mistake or whatever else and I think was, that makes think it all the more hangover, engaging
1: it's a hangover of sort of probably religion isn't it in Christianity yeah. that we sort of have this need to tell narratives where we go they're definitely bad yeah. and we probably do that in our lives as well as like they said this thing to me so they're horrible I hate them now they're on my shit list yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this person although they're great whatever they did I'd like them whatever they did And actually, everybody's a mixture of those things. of
0: completely a mixture, yeah. We
1: find it hard, like, you know, reading in a newspaper, like someone that we, you know, we've led to believe they're criminal and they're awful and that they once did something nice. And you're like, well, that's completely possible that someone could murder someone but do something nice for their granny. You know, people are a mixture of all different qualities. I
0: think in in many ways it's the strange arrogance of human nature, of us thinking that humans are these these wonderful things, because we do have that belief that... At the core, we're all good people. And I don't think we are. I think Mm. at the core, everyone is capable of being the most beautiful and wonderful person in the world. They're equally capable of dark, dark, horrible things. And children are a great example of this, in that they are these beautiful things. But equally, if you've got two small children and one takes the other one's toy, the other one's (laughs) natural reaction is to punch them or lash out in some way. And we spend a lot of time training them out of that and turning them into these people. But to say that human instinct is beautiful and selfless it's not it's something that we all work on Mm. on a day-to-day basis and that's a good thing and that should be applauded but it should also be recognized that it is an effort and it is something that we work on as a society and as good humans rather than this natural thing
1: a lot of exactly what you're saying went into the film actually because i was thinking so much about this thing as well when you have a baby you do you know i was scared of what was happening politically yeah you know even before like donald trump was, yeah, yeah. came into power that happened yeah. when I turned up in America to promote the film amazing and, and Donald Trump got in I was Timing. like why am I here yeah. this is so scary can I
0: leave immediately yeah
1: exactly but you know I, I I was reading also like Hobbes I don't I started I started doing things where I read a bit of philosophy about yeah. the films that I'm making because I Great. in my old age I'm getting much more into history and yeah types of thinking and stuff and And I do think there is this movement now of like, um, especially what's happening politically of like, idealism's been really denigrated recently, so denigrated that we believe even things that in the 60s was just normal, like, yes, we want a National Health Service and yes, we want this. Suddenly that's crazy and leftist, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, when when did we start demonising idealism? Because for me, like, you aim at idealism, but you're never going to get it. Yeah. that doesn't mean you stop aiming for it.
0: No, completely. And,
1: and when you bring children up and you read them fairy tales, you're trying to encourage them to buy, be idealists. Yeah. Everything that we, you teach a child is be good, share, do all these good things. And you're supposed to suddenly stop teaching people that when they get older. Yeah. Suddenly like, oh, that's ridiculous. All of yeah. that was just fairy tales that's all nonsense. You yeah. can abandon all of that now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you blur out... At the shades of grey to children because they can't conceive that, so you aim for the top. But it's ludicrous to start saying that as soon as you're aware that there's degrees that you shouldn't still want the very best as well. That's That should be what we aim for.
1: And, and just the idea of like teaching people the basics is like teaching manners, isn't it? Yeah. It's sort of like, this, this is what we're aiming at, but pragmatism means we can't quite get to that point, but you've still got to have those basic... And I, I just end up having those kind of debates with people... Around the election, of like people going, well, realistically, there's no money tree. There's no yeah. and you're sort of like, when did we stop having ideals? When, yeah. You know what? When is that? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's I'm, I'm really um. This is what I'm interested in with my next film as well as this sort of romanticism, really. Yeah. I'm researching that a lot. It's um, you know, not just romanticism in the idea of love and all of that. Although that is part of it. Yeah. Um, but you know. Idealism and having this sort of pure, is it, purity of intent about what you want. Completely.
0: It's, 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 I feel it's perfectly acceptable to lose a battle if your reason for entering the, that battle is correct and something mm. that you believe in. So it shouldn't just be, oh, here's my belief, but am I going to win that way? Mm. Not, what's that got to do with anything? If that's your <laughs> belief, then that should be your belief. It shouldn't yeah. be... It, it's strange to break things down to... But can that belief a win? It's, it's your belief, mate. Mm. It's, it's what you believe in. So it shouldn't matter if it wins or loses. You should be doing everything you can to make it win. But that shouldn't be the defining thing on if that's your if that's that's your belief or not.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I, it, and it's that thing of like you might fail as well. Like being yeah. an al- alcoholic, you, you might slip up and have like you know go back to the booze. You might have a belief and then you know not follow through on that belief. But you sort of go right. I, failed but that's okay because i'm a human being yeah but i was i'm trying to be good and i think it's all that thing of like you know religion has gone from our lives and i'm not religious yeah but um you do start to go oh there was loads of useful stuff about religion completely
0: (laughs) and people like i'm a i i I love ricky gervais i think he's great but one of his strongest arguments against religion is he always kind of says i don't need religion to tell me what's good and bad I'm I'm good because I choose to be good but he's ignoring the fact that his values come from a society that is drenched in Christianity Mm. so the reason he knows what's good and bad is down to religion probably far down the line so he's built he's he's grown in a way that allows that and And you're
1: watching films that are informed by those tenets as well like everything yeah everything that we see you know you can root it back to Christianity at some point um You know, and I find all that stuff really interesting. I mean, I'm really into Alan Moore. Yeah. uh, Who I just read an article by yesterday. And, you know, I love this thing that he has, he has this sort of, you know, I'm going to really clumsily try to put in a nutshell what what he's about because he's like the genius. But um, for me, what I love about him is he sort of realises that you know, as human beings, we're limited. Yeah. So we are, we're limited by language, we're limited by our brains uh, of how we can understand the world. Completely. And so he sort of goes, he almost goes, well, you go with that weakness. You know, if we've got a tendency to be into superstition or magical thinking, what can possibly be wrong about that? 100%. When, when we do it naturally as human beings. Yeah. The way, science is is limited. We're you know, so it, it's this sort of understanding that um, we're just little creatures. Yeah, really.
0: yeah, no, completely. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna put a caveat there that, that Alan was the third third guest I ever had on oh, the really? podcast, and I recommend that people go and listen to it because there's a whole section at the end where he talks about magic, and it's something that I'd had on my notes. I'll talk to Alan about magic, but a, a little bit of it was. Let's see what he says. <laughs> and it's just beautiful and fascinating and it's it's summed up perfectly it goes back to when he he got into comics and the reason he got into comics was there was no restriction mm. at that point in TV or film there was a restriction on what you could do and what you could create whereas in comics you can make absolutely anything it's a complete there's no world, limit isn't yeah it?
1: and it's visual and it's uh yeah and, and yeah the structures even like yeah. right? you're bursting out of a box and bleeding the box. And going it anywhere the next you want. Box. Yeah, and completely. I mean, I, I don't really know much about comic books. I'm totally out of my depth. But sometimes yeah. I think, oh, I wish I'd, I did know more. Yeah. I think it would be like, you know, suddenly deciding to learn a language or something or learn about a culture. It's like a huge undertaking to yeah, dive in when completely. you've never known anything
0: about it. It's knowing to respect that each art form can do things that other art forms can't. So I, I came up in Spoken Word... And it took me years to realise that there's stuff that written poetry can do that spoken word can't do because mm-hmm. of the, the punctuation and the layout and things like that that you can't do just speaking. Equally, there is is is, is it is the other way. But uh, uh, with Alan Moore, uh, when he made The Watchman, because that's that's the book that got me into Alan Moore because I'd seen it was in Time Magazine's top hundred novels. And I was like, but it's a comic. It was like, but it's in their top 100 novels of all time. Or whatever. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing. And it's because it's it's a comic and then it's got some files in it from a police report and then it's got some news clippings and stuff like this. It's like, <laughs> wow, this is this whole thing. It's, it's,
1: it's so completely rich. own.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. its own medium. It's, 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 it, it came out of nowhere and that's, it's fascinating. And what we were touching upon then, and we will get on some kind of track at some point but the beauty of podcasts is, is is you don't necessarily have to where we were talking about the the reason for having your values being something further than just a, a winning an argument a while ago i was i got really into reading up on the experiments of, of milgram and and the famous milgram experiment is the you're in a room and someone in a white coat is telling you to to, to give an electric to shock to someone in another room yeah. and because you're being told and you can't see them it allows further and further but ages ago I was developing a documentary with BBC 3 and they may be offended I talk about now but I walked away because they at that point were trying to the, the, the direct it far too much right, do you know what okay. I mean it's, it's that yeah. thing that can happen with TV it could be here's my idea they're like how about we do this 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 and for me I didn't have a desire to be a, pr- a presenter. So I was like, oh, no, I'll leave it then. Yeah. Which kind of sh- shocked everyone, because it's like, you're walking. I was like, no, I wanted to make this, and you don't, so we won't. But also,
1: it's not, it's a not documentary yeah. then, is it? Yeah, it's not exactly. following
0: if it- we're changing the na- narrative. But one of the ones that came to mind, like, or oh, oh, one of the things I planned out, was another experiment of his was, he did an experiment where it was in New York, and it, 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 it just had one person on the street just uh, looking up at a skyscraper. Mm. and he'd see how many people that walk past uh, would look and then he'd do it again in another place where two people looking up and I think he got it only had to get to four people to get 100% everyone that walks past <laughs> would look up so it's amazing that's, that strength for the, the crowd and, and the way I was with, I was going to adapt that was to use trains because uh, living in Essex there's like the last train home can be an ugly, ugly place and the idea was be on a train and have one person drunk or whatever nudge a stranger and go like fucking immigrants blah 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 Mm -hmm. and again in general in that situation i'd argue with them i'd say no but then would you if there was two people going yeah they're immigrants and i Mm -hmm.
1: and then three
0: and then four and see where that that point goes it's a fascinating one because again you'd i'd like to believe that your argument is if unless there's a physical conflict there, mm. your argument should remain no matter how many people are disagreeing mm. with you. But I'm also aware that that's not always as easy on a yeah. train at night. If everyone else is going, yeah, they're immigrants. I'd like to think I wouldn't join in, but I might not argue with everyone but it's a it's yeah, a tough well, one it's an
1: interesting thing because like recently the whole sort of jeremy corbyn thing yeah. i've seen people do complete vault faces on yeah. on facebook yeah. you know they've gone from going i hate him he's ruining the labour party when is he going to go yeah. to going oh i saw him at glastonbury isn't he great oh, isn't he great and and i'm sort of like right someone somewhere made it socially acceptable to you to to do that to, yeah to go oh it's all right for middle class you know, 38-year-olds to support Jeremy Corbyn. It's not stupid. And that's really interesting because it is... I mean, I think the thing is, like, it depends. I like to think of myself as, like, I I do my own thing and I'm not influenced by other people, but I wonder if I've had a sort of training in that by being an outcast at school and, you know, being a weirdo. I've I've sort of developed a bit of an armour of going, well, I don't do what other people do, so I... I in that sense kind of go oh well I always thought he seemed like quite a nice man yeah. so I was never influenced by people he telling me not okay to anyway. like him yeah. you know um, but at the same time like I'm an actor as well and sometimes I do feel like I, I get influenced like by people's accents and stuff like yeah. if I'm in Manchester for two days by the end of those two days I will be Doing a Manchester accent. Yeah. It might be a really bad accent, but yeah. I'm not doing it intentionally, it's just happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think that's like that group experiment, isn't it? It's yeah. like it only takes me like three days to be in a bunch of people I'm talking the same. I had, like,
0: I had a, a road <laughs> trip a, a while ago, and it's going to sound like a name drop, but it's, it's because of his addiction to that act in a mimicry. But I was on a road trip, it was, and it was just me and Tom Hardy.
1: And we Mm. were going off up
0: north and we had about four hours driving. And he had to stop halfway through and apologise because I've got a stutter. Mm. And he was saying... I've noticed that I keep stuttering. I'm not m- mocking you. It's just because you know we're what? only I, in that company. I think
1: I've been doing it with yeah. you as well. And again, because it's, it's an
0: access don't... thing. It's just that thing you just start but You have it, that in there. It's an
1: empathy thing as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm flushing myself now. I'm so <laughs> I'm not, but I do... You know, there's like this test that um, if you see someone yawning and you, if you yawn, yeah. it means you're empathetic. And right. I totally, if I see someone... I mean, I think a lot of people do it, and so it's quite a standard test. If you yeah. don't yawn, it might mean you're a psychopath <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, but I... It's because I like people. I mean, yeah. I generally sort of go, I, I like you, therefore I want to be a bit more like you. Yeah. And then I'm, I might unconsciously have the same yeah. body posture as them. And yeah. But I think that that is probably a skill yeah. then that lends itself to acting. Or not Completely. even a skill. It might be something that actually gets you into trouble as well um, in various ways. It might be something yeah. that isn't that great. Um, if you're
0: suddenly... Doing an accent somewhere you shouldn't be doing an accent, yeah. but you've just naturally done it, and it feels like mockery. I've had that before, where I'll I'll, I'll mimic thinking because I'm just I'm just thinking to myself, and then I'll be like, "Oh, that sounds like I'm taking the piss. That sounds like I'm gonna just doing yeah."
1: Someone said to me like an Australian girl that I used to live with. She said. I'm going to do it now. People just constantly impersonate my accent, and I just don't. I just find it quite rude. And I, you know, would people do that to everybody that they met? And I was like, do you know what? You just take it as a compliment because people actually like Australians. Yes. Yeah. People generally like Australians, and if people are impersonating your accent, it's because they like you. Yeah. And they yeah. think that you won't be offended because they like you. If they were worried you were going to be offended, they would not. If they didn't, if yeah. you felt alien to you, they wouldn't do it, yeah. you know, but they think that you're going to be all right with it because they think you're with, so friendly. They'd and do it then, when
0: you can't hear it. Yeah, or they'd exactly. be doing it offensively. Yeah. Of well, you. Yeah.
1: This German girl
0: said to me... <laughs> yeah. bah, bah,
1: bah. You know, you might well be doing that in a, a traditional, you know, xenophobia it's, against yeah. Germans.
0: I mean, that I have, but... It's all, 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 all fascinating the way... You, voices and ways of speaking can affect people mm. as so much like i genuinely i've I've thought about it on on the podcast front i think having a stutter helps me because i think it does put people at ease because there is that kind of there's there's that empathy there mm. n- n- not that i'm intentionally painting myself as this as this poor st- st- stuttering boy on cue as this poor <laughs> stuttering boy but again i think it makes it it's then not intimidating i'm not there i'm not here questioning you and, qu- and quizzing you we're just we're having this chat. I so. definitely
1: think that's true. I mean, I sort of, I, I think that I um, I get stuff wrong in my grammar quite yeah. often. And I don't, I don't know, I mean, I know what the correct thing is because I will write yeah. it correctly. Yeah. Um, but I do generally think that I don't want people to find me intimidating. Yeah. And yeah. I, I definitely, I don't like it when people talk in a way that is deliberately intimidating yeah. or exclusive in a way that yeah. I feel like. So I think that is something that, Yeah, that's another thing that I'm trying to... I'm a people pleaser at the end of the day. It's not not always a good thing. It's a
0: fascinating (laughs) one. And again, not that we'll stay on this subject for the whole thing, but I always notice that uh, uh, when I'm in South London and with people from South London, Mm. I become more South London because it's that natural thing of trying to... I've got roots here. It's, I don't know, it's Mm. it's trying to make everyone more comfortable and and feel okay. Um, I want to touch upon, you mentioned kind of growing up as an outcast at school (laughs) and I want to I want to get get into that in more detail but before I do do you feel there's been a conscious effort and possibly influenced by that to talk about things like death and and darker subjects in the art that you create because Sightseers and and prevention are great examples of that of really matter-of-fact discussions of death and I think I, for one, think it's a really important thing to do mm. because I think we make too much of a, t- a, t- a taboo of it. So mm. has that been a conscious thing or has it just been, oh, that happens to be what I've written about and interested it's, in? It's
1: funny because I don't really know. Like, uh, People have asked me, why do you do stuff that's so dark? And I'm like, oh, is it because I'm a bit of a goth? I don't know. Yeah. Like I enjoy dark fairy tales. I've always yeah. enjoyed that kind of thing. But I actually was thinking about it more deeply the other day and I was thought, actually, I'm quite a fearful person. Right. And I think a lot of directors are as well. If, you're, if you've if you got quite a lot of imagination, a lot of my time is spent thinking about things that can go wrong.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> like yeah, someone
1: yeah. else might see, oh, look, there's that lovely tree over there, and I might go, it's got some very low-lying branches, though, that are quite spiky, so that yeah, could go in yeah, someone's eye. dangerous. And that's what I'll be thinking I about, it. genuinely. And yeah. I think that, in some ways, that is why the films that I do have these sort of quite horrible things happening in it, because I'm sort of... That is genuinely how I think.
0: Yeah. Do, do you adore the Final Destination films then? Because they're just the ultimate. Of that is going. What can we make go wrong yeah, in this room?
1: Plane is going to crash. That's it. Yeah, Our final destination exactly. is
0: extended versions of the opening scene of Casualty um, <laughs> in, in 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 a Hollywood manner. It's just going. Let's let's make the crazy things all fall apart and go Probably. wrong.
1: Probably. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would enjoy. I don't know if I enjoyed those films. Is that the right word? Maybe if I watched my own films, I wouldn't enjoy them i don't know it's like people talk about what happens to tom davis and they're like oh i really cringed do, do you still cringe and i'm a bit like no because i know it wasn't real yeah. so it's like i just think about you know a you know that bit that went wrong because the cardboard knife went all yeah. floppy and stuff <laughs> like that yeah you've got that so. greater al-
0: awareness <laughs> so so when you're writing is there a thought of how people are going to react or is it purely writing to please you yourself at the time?
1: I think I do. I mean, in my dreams, I would always make stuff that I want to see. I I don't think... I think there's all sorts of pressures upon you uh, in TV and film of making something different to what Mm -hmm. you actually want to see. And I think that's always the battle that I have. It's like, well, this is what I think's good and someone else is telling me it's wrong or that it's not quite good enough or, you know, whatever. But I I always try and make stuff that I want to see. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a live performer as well. That's where I started out was doing theatre and comedy and I always think about the audience reaction to me that's mm-hmm. it's all about the audience yeah, reaction yeah. and um you know I'm, I'm trying to press buttons with people yeah, so yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that's yeah.
1: always a consideration but it's it's almost like I'm sort of thinking of it as being like a, a ghost train or a roller coaster or something it's like I'm thinking well they have had a bit of that so I want to take them somewhere else now and I want to do a bit of this and a bit of that and to me I'm like I'm hoping I'm giving them their money's worth by taking them through a range of experiences. Exactly that.
0: Yeah, and I think that comes across of it being a a journey of emotions rather than just where do I get the next laugh? Mm. Um, And (laughs) weirdly, my first viewing of Sightseers was ruined a little bit because I went to see it at the Odeon. The the Panton Street ones are just off Leicester Square. Yeah, yeah, and there was a, a guy in there who was really laughing belly laughs like constantly a bit
1: too early it <laughs> okay. yeah, just constantly. And,
0: and that was it the thing was the, it's the kind of humor that isn't laughter track type humor it mm. is kind of like it, it's stuff that i would go away and tell people about instantly and be excited but it's i don't know it's a lot of it there's a few points obviously but a lot of it, it, it. is written <laughs> it's, it's belly laughing so it was one that i then was keen to go and watch at home yeah, as soon as yeah. it came out because i was like I found myself railing against enjoying it because of how much he was enjoying it. Like, oh, a, yeah. well, no, no. Well, I mean, that was good, but come on. And <laughs> so it's just like, no, I now need to watch it and just enjoy it. So, yeah.
1: Well, also, you don't so want to feel like there's expectation because that's yeah. what I really You're felt. You're forced with, into it. Yeah. In prevention I was like, I don't really write thinking, how am I going to make people laugh, really? Yeah. I yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of go, oh, that's a funny joke or that's a funny situation or something, but I'm not all the way through going, oh, this isn't funny enough, this isn't funny yeah. enough. I don't care, actually, that much. I mean, other people will care more, yeah. I suppose. But I'm just <laughs> going, what's a good story? What's truthful emotionally for the character now? That was a bit of a fear about the film, was the serious bits in it. Like, mm. are people going to swallow it? And um, and for me, it's sort of like, I, I just want to surprise people, you know, yeah. when I feel like people are like, oh, I thought that bit was going to be funny, but she's quite sad. And, and, and the, you know, like, it's refreshing in that way. Yeah. Then to watch, and I feel like at this point in time with film and TV, that's the way it's going. That people want to be surprised by what's happening next. And com-
0: com- completely, you don't. I feel you don't need to answer the question: Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it this? Is it that? Mm. Because everything's so accessible now. It's like, mm. well, just watch it. Yeah. See, you can I'll watch it on demand available now on scar and demand and on itunes and in many yeah. other places um you, you can watch it that so the time you could spend having a discussion on what kind of film it is just go and watch it yeah and you'll find out it's kind of that's i i, I like and, that and
1: don't categorize your experience as well it's yeah. like this weird thing of like well of course you're going to be disappointed if you walked in going it's going to be a comedy and Here's i not get I a wanted. comedy yeah. you know it, it's sort of like just open yourself up to watching a film. You know, we were talking about early films and, yeah. you know, that 1961 film you're talking about. You're yeah. like, imagine the audience experience of seeing that film and really not having seen that story before. Yeah, it must have been amazing. Completely.
0: And it was, I mean, just to give some context, it was a film called Victim, which was the first film. It was while homosexuality was still illegal. And it's, it's actually cited by a lot of people as having an influence on get, bringing along that law change. Mm. And... It was one of the first to have sympathy for homosexuals, for these cr- criminalist homosexuals coming. Kind of and again, I, I, I love the ex- excitement of that. And I, love, I think a film recently, Get Out, was a great example I where people that. were saying, mm. I was hearing all this hype, but the first friend I knew that saw it said, Try not to read anything don't about read it, anything. Yeah. and that was it. It was like right. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a comedy. I don't know if it's a horror. I don't know if it's an action.
1: Yeah, just going go and enjoy it. Give yourself it. that pre- present yeah. to not know what you're about to see, yeah. and imagine that you've never seen a film before. You've never, you know, yeah. you, you're just because I think we're so saturated now. We've watched so many films. We've watched so many, you know, we're bombarded with stuff. I've got a, a watching list. Yeah. that's like as long as my arm of stuff that yeah. I haven't seen. And I've got to watch. But yeah, being able to go in and going I've got no idea what it's going to be and I'm enjoying that that I don't know what
0: it, it, this is going to sound like a plug now and it's not but I've mentioned it on the podcast before about a year ago now the podcast was sponsored by Odie and, and their limitless car. Oh thing, right yeah and they and they sent me one and it's fine if you you want a card bar and if you don't, don't. But the thing that it did for me was it took the pressure off of a film. Yeah. Because I can watch anything, yeah. if you know what I mean. And that sounds... So you just r- give it a go. Really mm. odd. But psychologically it made me go, if I've got a couple of hours spare in London, oh, what's on? Not, yeah. is there a film I want to watch? Yeah. Oh, what's on? And Absolutely. it was really a refreshing thing because it made me me go into films with that bit more of a all right, there's no, I've not got this pre-exploitation. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I
1: mean, I've sort of exploited genre in a way with the films that I've done, and it's worked well for me. But as soon as genre starts blocking off your empathy, you know, it's like, you should be able to walk into a film and go, I'm open to this character's experience and and where they're going to take me and this story. I'm not going to go, I can't enjoy this. I hate that when someone goes... I couldn't enjoy this because it was a Western and I hate Westerns. And you're like, what? You couldn't follow yeah. the character. I'm so sorry just,
0: for you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just like, because there was some sand
0: yeah. and a horse yeah. in it, it you, you couldn't, it yeah. that's
1: it. you know, and it's like when genre becomes that, that you decided I'm not going to enjoy that film. That's not a good thing. And, uh, and you know, Certainly. for me, I'm just, I'm always trying to trick people into empathising with a character they didn't yeah. think they could empathise with. And I think that's probably what Get Out has done because yeah. we're, we've been so badly trained to um, only identify with a character who looks in a certain way, yeah, you know, yeah. that is basically Tom Cruise or yeah. whatever. Um, that our habits are really bad, our viewing habits of like, yeah. oh, well, he's a black character, so he'll die. In, yeah. in that's yeah, traditionally yeah, yeah, in a yeah. horror film, you know, or sci fi. That's the joke that, you know, that yeah. the the black character, oh, he's going to die. He'll be first dead, yeah. And um, I don't know what happens in Get yep. Out, so no spoilers. spoilers. You yeah. might die, Who <laughs> no, knows? but hopefully it's the end of the film <laughs> rather than the beginning. But, um, yeah, but all of that stuff that kind of snaps you out of, like... And I think it's, it's you know, this is what I think about film, is it's a, a tool. It's a it's a tool for empathy, which yeah. a book is as well, or a novel. It's, it's like an important sort of human experience of, like, going... If we could all identify a little bit more with each other and empathise with each other a bit more, yeah. the world would be a better place. Yeah. So here's a film that's going to help you to do that. Yeah. And um, and I think like probably in the 80s there were certain issues films or 80s or 90s like Philadelphia or something yeah. that make, yeah, make you like, oh, an AIDS victim. Okay, now I feel like yeah. I know that person I and can I, I can relate. Way, yeah. And I don't. I think it's more subtle what we're doing now it's kind of um films that are still issues films but they're sort of disguised in as as genre yeah
0: yeah, and um
1: and that's kind of quite interesting and that's sort of what prevents you know i don't go out my way to make some sort of tract that is preaching to people about feminism or motherhood or anything like that i just write what i want to write and that i enjoy writing but at the same time there all of those things are. the, there's political threads running through it and how, how can you help it you know? prevalent
0: to you as a, as a human so that that those threads are going to it. it's just Completely. what's in your head it's just what's in the
1: zeitgeist in the moment of, of what's concerning people I mean um, my boyfriend's f- um, family came from Australia and they were saying it's really funny everyone's talking about politics here like people don't talk about politics wow. in Australia yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or, and I was like well that's because of what's happening. It's just this yeah. is the climate that you can't avoid it. You know, it's like I've never seen so many young people being so engaged with
0: politics. But again, you rewind t- 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 a ten, a fifteen years, mm. and it wasn't a topic that was 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 prevalent and was all no. over things. It is. It's weird how these things have cycles, and yeah. you kind of have to have some bad to make to make people care. For it, for it,
1: it, happen, it always yeah. concerns
0: me how bad it has to get before people care enough to really do something. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we all care enough t- to write some Facebook posts, <laughs> but is that making a big difference? It's yeah. that, that concern of mine has always been, and I've told some friends this, and every time something bad happens, people are like, oh, you must you must be loving. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm aware- my awareness is that I feel it has to get a lot worse, but but that doesn't mean I'm looking forward to it in any mm. way. It's just, I think it is that kind of thing of, in a comfortable a Western society, it's going to take a lot to shake us out of our... As, 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 our, our yeah, our armchairs. Yeah, oh, such.
1: definitely. I mean, I, I, get a, I get guilt about it. Like, a few years ago, I had real guilt about it. I'd just done Sightseers and I was working quite a lot and I was doing a TV show and I really felt like, oh, this industry is quite selfish and horrible, yeah. actually. I don't know. It was a tough time for me. Weirdly, right. it was like a bi- big um, time in my career, like success wise on from the outside probably yeah. people were like oh that's great you won some awards and stuff but actually internally i was like oh my god if i'm going to carry on working in this industry i'm going to have to develop a bit more of a um, philosophy about what i'm doing because right this is actually quite a dark world to work in yeah. i just felt that that way that oh my god i've got access into this world but it's it's
0: quite a cutthroat yeah um,
1: and it's that whole thing about holding on to your principles and stuff like that and um yeah, it's cutthroat, and uh, it was funny because I was working with this actress, and I and she was sort of probably late sixties, mm-hmm. and I was talking about it like I don't really know how to cope with this, and and she said to me, oh well, I'm a Buddhist, and I've been a Buddhist since nineteen seventy seven or something, yeah, yeah. and I will bring you a book that explains how you deal with all this stuff, yeah. and she brought me this book on Buddhism, and it was amazing, and I um it was it's a very um, pragmatic branch of Buddhism this particular Buddhism yeah. that she follows and there was loads of stuff in there that was like oh this is so it's like a manual of how to deal with all the crap that happens to yeah. you yeah, yeah. Um, because it's all about very human emotions like jealousy or you know envy or anger or any yeah. of these things but one of the things that he said well, there's all these different levels towards enlightenment the top one is Nirvana and in, enlightenment but there's one sort of, a couple further down, which is called Bodhisattva. Right. And it's this idea that if you have a purpose in your life, that that's sort of good enough. Or that's how I read it. Yeah. It's sort of like, you might have a purpose in your life and it might be just being a good mum. Yeah. But you know what? That's all right. Yeah. That's yeah. If that's your chosen purpose, that's enough. You don't have to go out and be a political activist as well as yeah. all of those things.
0: Completely. You don't have
1: to... And it was really funny because I read that and I thought maybe my bodhis... I'm saying it wrong, but bodhisattva, however <laughs> you say it, maybe that's going to be making films. Yeah. And I actually felt like I can deal with that because, you know... I Sometimes I'm feeling like, yeah, I should be taking to the streets and protesting about this it's, and that. It's, and like...
0: it's weird. I mean, you spoke of, of 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 the filmmaking industry and it is under a microscope all the more, but it's also something in society and our social media is there is that constant comparison to what other people are doing. Mm. So, and again, it's something I don't like. I, mm. I think it's fine to go and protest, mm. but you don't have to. It's fine to... Don't, donate to charity but you don't have to you're mm-hmm. not a bad person if you don't mm-hmm. there's the, the, there shouldn't be these these things of this is what you should do and it's an interesting one because it it relates to the the entertainment world because there's exactly that you mm-hmm. could absolutely you've just done sightseers. you've won awards as a writer and as an actress and all this mm-hmm. kind of thing but are you doing anything production-wise? Are you producing anything? There's always these things of, there's always something else that they want to do. There's a Mitch Hedberg joke uh, where he said, it's a weird thing with comedians. They go, oh, you do comedy, but can you act or can you write? And he was mm-hmm. like, you never go to a chef and go, you're an amazing world-class <laughs> chef, but can you farm? <laughs> It's like,
1: w- what about what? gardening? No, it's
0: ex- exactly. It's kind of it's, it's that weird thing in the entertainment industry that as soon as you achieve something somewhere, there's this expectation that you should be achieving it yeah. it's somewhere else as well. It's like well, no, you could. It can just be that what you're doing
1: is your goal. Success in life, or which you know should be happiness, is actually about editing.
0: Yeah. It's
1: all about editing. <laughs> I mean, right. editing is a very powerful process in filmmaking. Right. I, you know, I work with an absolutely brilliant editor called Matteo Bini who yeah. did Prevenge it's a very careful, you know, difficult skill. But I sort of think in life, if we just let ourselves off yeah. a little bit more and yeah, just Because yeah, yeah. this is what I'm finding at the moment. I'm getting a lot of meetings and I, I'm sort of going, I, I really need to kind of work out which of these meetings is really for their sake as well as my own. Because I'm like, I could go to this meeting and nothing could come of it because I'm so swamped yeah. in my yeah, brain. Yeah, 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 I'm so yeah, yeah. cluttered that actually don't end up actually... And then it's a waste of both of our times, you know. So it's sort of like being selective of... uh, And I think the people that really do what they want to do are are brilliant at editing their lives, at selecting. Where where am I going to make an effect? Where am I actually going to do something? At the right time, in
0: the right moment. Yeah, Yeah, I mean,
1: and also that thing of like, you know, doing a podcast even, you know, something like this is... It's enough to be someone who's got an open mind and questioning things and encouraging other people to be like that that's putting good into the world as, as I see it. You, yeah, know, it's not, you don't have to be sort of like storming Westminster with a torch in your hand like yeah, to exactly. go in, but uh, injustice.
0: <laughs> but it's having that confidence in what it is you want to do and the importance of that. I had, I had, I had Sophia Batella on the podcast a few weeks back and she told an amazing, really inspirational s- story to me that she was touring the world as a dancer for Madonna and she went in one day and she said to Madonna, I'm leaving the tour because... I'm going to act, and Madonna right. was like, "This is amazing. Have you got a good a good role? Then have you got this? Because she'd done a few bits, and she was like, "No, I've just decided that that's what I'm going to do." And it, <laughs> it wasn't with any solid plan there. It was just she realised that that was her goal, and yeah. she needed to focus on that. Yeah. And while she had all these other opportunities, she edited them them all out and went, "Here's where I want to be." And that's a powerful thing, it's, I think, and it like, really
1: yeah. It's like you hear stories of people who lose their jobs, and sometimes you go maybe you needed to lose your job because
0: 100%. what did you, you actually want to do? Like,
1: yeah. You know, maybe they didn't like their job or the, whatever. And and it is that thing of like, you know, it took me a long time to direct or accept that I wanted to direct. Yeah. You know, it was, that was a difficult thing for me because, you know, to an extent when you're an actress, you're quite passive. It's someone else coming and telling you what to do. Yeah, yeah. In a way you're like a little dolly going, pick me, play yeah. with me today, please. Like, find me the most interesting dolly that you have and see... Yes, and
0: so, how would you like me to be?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you want me to wear for, yeah. to be in this role? And, um, and yeah, it is quite passive. And, I mean, I love acting. I absolutely love acting. But um, I knew I've got more bossiness in me
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> than, than I was showing, really. And, um, yeah, and, and really, like, you know, as I said, like doing revenge it kind of, that was the thing that sort of forced me into going... You like being in control. You like choosing yeah. the music and the making the decisions. Yeah, um, and actually, you've been a little bit naughty and a bit lazy in not doing this earlier. You know, and not taking it's, control having, the, of your it's, it's having the
0: boldness to take take the risk as well, isn't it? Because mm. I think when you're uh, uh, when you're the doll, <laughs> if it th- doesn't work out, there's a lot of elements outside of your controls, so you can feel yeah. a level of
1: yeah, it's not but, my fault. That
0: the, didn't do great. <laughs> it's not my fault. Whereas when you're going no, I'm in control now, you succeed or fail on your own back. And that's an exciting thing, but it's also a a big step to take. I mean,
1: I I had a lot of respect for directors. At that point when you're premiering your film and you're sweating, you're thinking about the first reviews, and you're just really going, oh, my God, this is horrendous. And the thing is, I think it only gets worse because you... (laughs) <laughs> not that it's a great hardship to be directing your own films it's like a lovely situation to be in but you know i think the first one people are impressed because it's new and yeah. it's like a first one and you've yep. done it under certain constraints then the second one they're like hmm, is this any better hmm, i'm gonna be a bit tougher on them now you know they've, they've graduated a it's little that bit obsession
0: with comparison isn't it yeah so the other one hasn't gone but mm. like you have that with again just Coming from music as well You'll always Anytime you release an album They'll be like I prefer your second album it be like That's cool That's still there You said that the first it's, time It's still there You can still listen to that It's not gone yeah. This is additional to it That's yes, not It's, true, it's not removed it? I've not recorded this Over your copy of the first album This is It's a separate <laughs> CD It's fine
1: It's like an obsession Of people thinking That you're on one trajectory You've yeah. got to get better You can't have any deviation 100%. And like you know, and actually, the reality of like a creative career is there's always ups and downs. It's yeah. like you, you don't have any control over that. It's just what's happening. And I think actually, once you realise that, of like, I don't really have that much control over yeah. my ideas. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, the thing that I'm doing next, I don't know why I'm doing it. Yeah. Some a psychologist could probably tell me better than that right. than I know. It's just, and I think actually that's quite a nice place to be if you sort of feel like I'm just channeling some stuff. Yeah. It's, it's I'm not actually that responsible for it. I don't. I am responsible. Obviously, I am going to be responsible when I get the bad reviews or whatever. <laughs> but I, you know, it, it's this thing of thinking you are just trying to channel something that is maybe in the ether that's interesting you, or you think is going to yeah. be interesting to other people, and, and you are just trying to be truthful to that. I think, I think the really bad stuff comes when you stop listening to that higher yeah. voice yeah. that is telling you what to do. And you're, instead, you are worrying about the audience or the reviewer. Like, yeah, what would completely. they like to see? What you, you're thinking too much about the critical voice instead yeah. of just being honest and sincere about what the story is. About what tell. you're creating.
0: And again, I think another key is potentially the awareness that it's essentially a never-ending story, that you will be doing a project after this as yeah. well and you will be doing a project after this. Um, and let kind of rewind back a little bit because I think it's, it's prevalent in this, this situation that you work all this time to get to somewhere where there's a project. I like sightseers that's critically acclaimed, that wins awards, that's adored. And then you just continue. Do you know what I mean? I think I think yeah. there's probably this belief that when that happens, everything changes. The yeah. world's different. I'm now I'm now a superstar. But in general, that's not the case. It continues on. And there yeah. might be some slight changes and some more meetings, but you're still having to work and create yeah. and it's I mean, not I've this so that, was that something that you i've made experienced? that mistake i
1: think and yeah. i think again it's our human instinct to turn stuff into narratives turn stuff into films this great yeah. thing happened and then they had a happy ending and then it was yeah. happy ever after and you know after after sightseers, i didn't really get any work like yeah. for ages i've got no acting work for about two years it was really it? weird i do you know and i felt really down about it i'd got stuff that had I'd already been slated to do from before, Yeah. but I didn't get that moment of like, you know, Woody Allen phoning me up or Steve Spielberg and now, yeah. going, hi, you've made it, come to Hollywood. You know, it was it was just like back to the drawing board. Do you and think I you can like,
0: identify in any way, looking back, what might have influenced that? Because uh, just my own curiosity is, would there be any element of maybe you have a success and you take your your foot off the gaslight and not saying you specifically mm. but in general if you've not had a success then you're chasing every single role then when you have something you suddenly think well the next thing is going to be bigger or huger and think, maybe you're ignoring the smaller things that you might have jumped on previously I
1: think it's something about the unusual quality of that project yeah where, you know as we were talking about the characters so distinct, are so weird yeah. the characters are so strange I think a lot of people would watch that film and just go you are those people
0: You might be terrible actors,
1: you know, I don't want to see you as anything
0: else. It's the feeling I get of, of, of Shane Meadows films Mm. and casts. They're so beautiful and so perfect, but they're so good that it feels like he's just turned up with a camera and that's who they are. Therefore you might not see them in another role as nothing, which people like Vicky McClure and Stephen Graham and all these have shown is completely wrong, but I can see how that could be the case at first. Well, you're like, well, I don't want combo from this yeah. is England in this film, he's not right for it, and then because he's
1: not an actor, he's yeah, just a real. He's person. a person. <laughs> he's a
0: real. Yeah, the characters are so real. I mean, cool. So in, in a I, way, I'm it's a victim of me your own success
1: by saying that. But I think there probably was an element of completely. that
0: completely because it felt so real and so human. I said, mm. but because despite the extre- extremities that it goes to, it's all done in such a matter of fact way that it is so relatable and human that yeah, it's yeah. again, it is almost a victim of your own. A, su- a success yeah, there, I mean, you've done like, it so I was, well. I was watching
1: With Nail and I again, like yeah. a couple of weeks ago. which was just we started having sort of movie nights, which is absolutely brilliant. I recommend amazing. it. Like, get off Facebook and just have a movie night because yes. you've been doing it loads. Yeah, and you know, with Nail and I, you kind of go, most amazing performances. What did those actors go on to do? I mean, yeah. they had a little bit of, of success, but mm-hmm. you know, you would have thought it pr- would propel them, but actually, what they're doing is so sort of human and raw and empathetic and, and real yeah. um, that you just kind of almost they are those characters they're kind of frozen in that time yeah. yeah. and um, so I flatter myself that that was the situation but um, but I actually think it's really good for me whenever I've done stuff that's been successful like Garth Marenghi and quite often those things have been strange and unusual so they, yeah. they don't have a mainstream success they have like a cult appeal that then continues
0: again I was going to s- don't say a slow build and a slow burn success and yeah. garth merengue is a prime example of that that it's and, and and similarly i mean as we were saying how the entertainment industry can be very s- self-driven and singular mm-hmm. but projects like garth merengue and projects like hot fuzz and world's end and some mm-hmm. of that seem to be the exceptions to that rule where it feels like groups of people all go in and let's all make something rather than yeah it's a Tom Cruise film, it's this film. It's like, no, everyone kind of uh, uh, put yeah, it together. And mucked so, in and,
1: and yeah, and it's got a personality. Like, yeah. You know, or, I sort of think as well, I'm a, I'm a character actress and sometimes people don't, they're sort of scared of the idea that you've got, that you're bringing a personality to yeah. to a film. And like, you know, I always used to flutter myself of like, I'm a, I'm a chameleon, I can look so different, I can do different accents. And, and actually, I think really what I bring to something is, is probably similar energy each time even yeah. if i'm doing a different performance and actually people can be a bit scared of that they actually want you to be more bland yeah sometimes yeah
0: especially which
1: is a bit of a shame they're like yeah we want the wife but we generally want her to look like a model and that's it there's there's no character yeah and you're like but why does he love her why does he love why does this guy love her and yeah. i mean that was what was so lovely about um Sightseers is like, even though it's a dark film, apologies, that's just <laughs> film for executive walking out in the um, No, I think that was what was so weird about Sightseers, but appealing is like, and to me, this was like the meaning of it is, it is a rom com in some ways. It's yeah. about a, a, a romantic relationship. And the idea that as flawed as these two people are, they've all they've got is each other. Yeah. And I sort of think that is what a relationship is, is when you realize that the flaws of that person you are. Are as in love with as yeah. the good things yeah, about that Yeah,
0: completely, person.
1: completely. So suddenly having in a film like a, a wife that's just p- completely perfect, you sort of go, "Well, that's not what a relationship's about." It's that's not, not real. It's not, not human real. in any way. Yeah, it's like that's a trophy. That's not a a real person. So I don't know. I kind of, you know, as I get older and I'm sort of a bit more like I used to bemoan that I wasn't casting more stuff just generally and now I'm sort of like no the people that cast me and stuff actually know what I can bring to the project and if they don't know what I'm going to bring then they're probably not going to like working with me it's not the right it's not going to be the right combination and so I feel like probably the projects I've done I've I've been the right ones they've been like you know what I don't think I don't think I would change anything really because it's all been like personal development for me as well, like yeah. coming to know what it is I do and what I'm good at and not beating myself up about. And the timing that, of it all, you know,
0: from looking over again the 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 lazy prep of going through IMDb. It feels like that thing of as 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 the roles were coming or as, as, as the roles were developing and getting more and more, it was, again, it seemed like a lot of these quite safe places to develop and to learn your trade mm. all the more and to get better and, and better. And then, right, I'm now, I'm writing my own stuff. I'm <laughs> at the front, I'm, I'm here. It's and been this. like a
1: school. It's yeah. been like, because, yeah, I've worked with so many people that I've worked with again, and then there's this real trust relationship, which is so important to just have that trust and that comfort yeah, when you're course. working with someone. And then... Um, and that knowledge of their abilities and their skills and, and, uh, yeah, so I sometimes like, you know, when, because I made the film Revenge really quickly, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, 15 years of study, really, of like being an actress, oh, being on set, yeah. writing, um, you know, it took me 15 years to write a film in two weeks, you know, yeah, it's sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. all the, all the experience that I'd had and watching other directors and sort of being able to cherry pick, oh, I like the way they, work in this way, or I've learnt this thing, or they said this thing to me, which has stayed with me. That's all really, really important.
0: Completely. It's all a combination of things that have happened in your past and have built up to that and prepared you for that moment. When uh, Ariz Ahmed was on, he was saying how annoyed he was in his first few films that he would learn the scripts inside and out, and his literally first two or three roles... They didn't do a single line off the script. And he was like, he'd spend so much time learning this and suddenly this, but it meant that he's then that prepared. He's so prepared to go off script to be ready, and then if they need to click back, he can pull things back. But it also
1: means that he knew who the character was. Yeah, completely. It's internal already, all of that. He's internalised all of that stuff. That's his sort of Bible of who that character is. It's just inside him. And I think that's the thing that when I'm... I'm not a it's like I'm not a classical script screenwriter, I'm not a classical actress either. I don't I'm not the perfect person to come and go I will I will be so you know, I will deliver this script uh, like this finely tuned instrument that just turns this script into a brilliant performance. It's like I'll I'll bring something strange to it or more yeah. to it or you know, yeah. I I kind of um yeah, I kind of bring what I think is an internal kind of thing of of what I think the character is. And, um, yeah, and I bring a liking of that character as well. Like yeah. I really, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm on that character's side and I I'm get fighting them their I want, corner. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Even if they're and the bad, as you yeah, said, even if, the bad, even
1: if the director's like, you know, maybe I don't want to like them. Yeah. Well, you're going to have no choice Yes. Yeah. yeah. like, this, this character's real. Like, yeah. I'm defending them. Like, yeah. So, I love that I don't know I mean it's funny because I feel like actually having made Prevenge ironically I'm much more confident about my acting now I sort of that's
0: great I'm
1: a, I had many years of kind of like you know especially in the comedy world like people would say but you're a really good actress you know as if that's completely separate from comedy yeah and so that would give me like some yeah, that's false that's what I was here to do <laughs> I
0: was trying
1: <laughs> I'm like why wouldn't I be
0: yes yeah
1: try to do everything well if I can I don't want to do one bit of it badly yeah but you know th- they'd sort of raise my hopes that I'd think oh you know one day I'm going to be a serious actress because everyone's telling me that I can act well um, I actually don't think I am that great an actress really but I as I said like as I get older I sort of know when yeah, that part I could do that and, and yeah. that person I would have a good working relationship with it's great with.
0: to have, have that awareness and be able to go I, I can do something good with that Rather Mm. than just, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Mm. I could do that if you want that. I can be that. But I can do something really good with this role and and kind of take it somewhere. I
1: think also it's this thing of, like, I know that I'm not very good at... Someone once said to me, and it was quite funny, a producer, like, really early on, he said, you're like the dog in Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Because you come on stage and you think you're the star, even though you're just the dog. Amazing. And then before any, before everyone knows it, everyone's looking at the dog. Yeah. So he's basically calling me a dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I was remarkably unoffended Again, by, but I'm I still like, I am, I, am a bit like that. It's like if I'm playing a small part, I'm like, I'm not trying to steal the scene, but I am gonna, I am gonna think that I am because everybody thinks they're the most important person in completely. their own life. Completely,
0: and but I think it's key. To the role, I've, 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 I've mentioned this a few times again in my incredibly l- limited acting experience. If you are in the background, to, just to make the day go quicker, it's more fun to make that your role. Yeah. So, in your mind, you're playing the lead role in your character's yeah. film. It happens at that point, you're know, in the background somewhere, but you're playing the lead there. And I think that's a good outlook to have, have you know, it's adding s- as, as some depth. And it's depth that, 90% of the people are watching might not catch or might mm. ignore because they're, they're so focused on what's going on in the foreground. Yeah. But if anyone wants to, it makes that scene r- real. Because mm-hmm. in general, in our lives, none of us are standing in the background. As you said, all of us <laughs> are in the foreground because yeah. we're in our own heads. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. People are probably listening going, God, I wouldn't hire her as an actress because well, she'd be like, What are these steel is going on? Steel focus or whatever. But, what? I, yeah, I just think it's. It's fun as well, isn't yeah. it? It's like, you, you just want to have fun and go, just like, this, this person is, you know, they are like a, you know, a dog is having fun when it goes on stage. Completely. And like, as an actor, you're like, well, at some level, I just enjoy this. I yeah. enjoy people giving me attention. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not aware of that, that's not a good thing, I think. Something's yeah. going, on. Oh, no, I'm so humble. And, so,
0: is that, you know? no, you're <laughs> not. You're loving it. You're having a great time. You're playing about on stage. and Yeah. Um, we're we coming towards the end and before we do I want to go all the way back and just find a little bit about your kind of your upbringing and, and was comedy always a big influence as a child, you grew up in, in Coventry was it in the I was in the born Midlands. in Coventry
1: and then Coventry. we moved to Camelworth which is a sort of small town outside Coventry
0: Lovely.
1: Um, which I've got a real fondness for my mum and dad still live there and it's, it's kind of an interesting place, it's sort of upwardly mobile now but it's that sort of Everybody knew each other, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And like, it still makes me laugh now because my mum, unless I'm in the kennel with Weekly News, it, it hasn't happened. Like my mum will literally say, "Will, will they, will they, fo- will they do a piece about it in the kennel with Weekly News?" And I'm like, "I don't know, mum. I don't really." Do you ever read it? <laughs> so, <laughs> be
0: tempted to, to, to big time because I had a weird thing the other day. A mate of mine, my mate Stu, St- 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 his brother is lovely. He's a, a deaf lad. He's a lovely guy, and he sent me a link. A, a, literally yesterday to our local paper and it was a mention of the podcast and <laughs> as we record this l- last week's podcast got because of some drama in it got covered by s- CNN, really? BBC News Australian news stations, wow. everyone the Guardian, everyone was yeah. doing articles on this particular thing and I had to bite and again it felt like such arrogance but I had to bite my tongue to not respond going <laughs> the local paper <laughs> Excuse me, here's here's a few articles. But, but I did, I resisted. I just I wrote back and, oh, that's cool, man. But, yeah, it's that, it is that weird one. And it should yeah. be that it's exciting when something comes into your world. So if yeah. that's your mum's world, I mean, actually, then that's the one it, that's exciting, when, when right? When you
1: were a little kid, that yeah. would have been really it's exciting. 100%. So you're like, wow, I getting I've really still got like,
0: clippings somewhere of when uh, my first band who, who never ended up playing a gig were in two of my local papers, just in the listings. It wasn't even a write-up or a review; it's just the listings, and it meant the world. So again, <laughs> it should mean. I remember going to, to a local Sorry,
1: panto, which was Andram, and it was like people's parents, like Brilliant. people from my school, and oh. but to me they were like stars. Oh. You know, they were like a sort of fifty-year-old woman dressed as <laughs> as Jack and the Beanstalk. Where I was like, wow, she's this is incredible. <laughs> like, she was like a superstar in my mind, but like. So,
0: in your small town, <laughs> oh, was that the kind of thing that was was appealing to you, or, or did you have other goals? Or I
1: did. I was I was a member of an acting club, and um, oh. it, to my mind, I, I was quite a lazy child, and like, so I didn't really go for like I did a bit of piano, but I never practiced because yeah, I was yeah, too yeah. lazy. Whereas acting, it was like you could turn up and you do stuff, and people would be quite impressive you didn't have to practice <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and I was like, yeah, yeah so i think that's like one of the hobbies that stuck with me because yeah i didn't have to practice and i found it like hmm, it seems quite easy it's something like, that
0: you can get praised for but not have to learn yes. initially because again i think as children we are naturally we're learning how to act every day like in, yeah. in day-to-day life as much as anything else you're you're learning how to act around people at school around parents around this so it's you you're at that stage anyway so yeah. it's that bit easier i guess and so. i
1: think i think i was quite grown up when i was little i sometimes said i looked like a 26 year old when i was like 8 I Amazing. Just had a 26 year old head <laughs> and i think i've been becoming like less mature as the uh, you know more childish as the years have gone on to make up for lost time but but back then i think i had this sort of sense of awareness that um everyone's being silly you, yeah. you know so i was like i used to do quite dry comedy at this club, you know, like I used to sort of almost do like a pastiche of like the sketches that other kids were doing. (laughs) Because they'd be like going, you borrowed my hairdryer. It would always be a sketch about someone having borrowed someone's hairdryer. It would be an argument. And I was, me and my friend would do a sort of ironic take of that when something weird would happen. So we were sort of doing comedy without really knowing it. But I was watching a lot of Vic and Bob. Like that was a big mind blowing thing for me, like big night out. Because I really did go, this is the stuff that me and my friends do, sort yeah. of surreal, strange drawings and talking about surreal stuff, but yeah. someone's doing it on telly and that means it's comedy and that means it's worth something, yeah. you know. And, you know, I watched the um, Monty Python and yeah. all of that. I would just, any um, comedy that was on, I would be, um, it it, you know. Bob b- 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 a great
0: one, inspiration-wise, because it's exactly that. Everything that they did, you could, could look at and go, that could be me and my mates. And <laughs> yeah. it's not. And they, and they no, nailed and they it. They and they're are amazing. doing it to but quite a level. But you watch it and go, "I could hit someone with a giant frying pan." Yeah. It's like, yeah. You, I mean, you could, but you didn't. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. kind of this.
1: It's this yeah. Artwork. So it's this illusion that you're thinking that it's what you can do. Obviously, and easy, obviously they've yeah. got quite a lot of stagecraft yeah, and like yeah, yeah. stuff going on that is is clever. But I think it it for me it was like I guess it was our generation's Monty Python or something, which this surrealism, which. You know, now I'm still really interested in surrealism, and um, it's not something that I—I explore it a little bit actually. With film, you you can like mix surrealism and and realism. You can do that. You can have metaphors, and you can have visual strangeness and all sorts of things. But um, on TV, it was—I was sort of in an era where there was like the Mighty Boosh, which I was in, yeah. And then it was kind of like that's it for surrealism. You don't yeah. get to do any more civilism yeah. yeah. now. We've, we've ticked that box with this show. Yeah, completely. And I so, love that. Yeah. I went, it is
0: exactly that. It's I like, know oh, we've covered that. <laughs> <Yes>. What? <laughs> no, we've covered it. Yeah, it's done. Oh, I th- Oh, yeah. okay, right, okay. Well, it's well,
1: like, we don't want that anymore. I mean, yeah. legendarily, you know, they told the office, like, Mock docs are over. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I remember sort of pitching a mock doc thing in like when I was in my early twenties, and then going, "We we've, we've had far too much mock doc stuff. We've had people like us or something." Yeah. And then the office comes out, and you're sort of like, "Why do people say that?" It's like people going, "Horror is over."
0: Yeah, like, people
1: aren't interested in it's, horror anymore. You're like, yeah. "What are you talking about?" Hey, it's just a format. Yeah, if you make a bad mock doc, then that is a bad, ma- ma- you know, yeah. mock doc. But that doesn't mean the, it doesn't f- the format mean it's over. is dead, yeah, you know. Completely.
0: It's, it's just—it's it?
1: just all this stupid sort of TV speak that happens. But it's, yeah.
0: So, what drew you from um, like uh, acting club and stuff like that into acting in 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 TV or on stage or well, comedy? I, what was your? So,
1: I sort of gave that up when I was about sort of seventeen because I was, you know, was quite academic at school and I was doing my exams and stuff and kind of that took over really like yeah. my mum and dad were sort of like oh you know my sister had gone to cambridge and they they were quite keen for me to pressure go. yeah uh well not just keen they were sort of like <laughs> you know if you don't go it's not like you'll be the worst child of the two but you you will <laughs> just slightly much. in our mind yeah. so I, I sort of wanted to go to art college really and i think right. in another wo- in another life i would have done that Mm -hmm. and because I loved art I loved drawing that was like my favorite subject really and I loved making stuff and I was making costumes and making sets and stuff um for my sister who was doing lots of plays and uh and so I applied to Cambridge and I got in (laughs) and then I did it and I kind of knew that it was going to change my life I knew it was a different world I was going into and I knew that it was going to be lots of opportunities but even then I was like oh no I'm just going to do sets and costumes and then um, this one play uh, that I was doing costumes for they said why don't you audition for a part and I auditioned for a part and I got got it and then I got the acting bug again and yeah. I was suddenly then I was doing it and, and it was almost like all the academic stuff I didn't care about it anymore I was just doing the play yeah. so I was going to like Edinburgh and doing Edinburgh Festival but at this stage I was doing only like really kind of serious stuff and I, I was working with Paul King who Directs Paddington. Right, yeah. And I sort of had a working relationship with him over many years, but he sort of formed his own theatre company. And he was like, you know, most people are doing at Cambridge, they're doing like Hamlet and stuff. And they're doing, you know, whatever important, recognised playwrights they are. Or they're doing footlights. Yeah. And I was like, not interested in footlights at all. Emma Thompson, Stephen Fry, don't. I like Vic and Bob. Yeah, what's that got <laughs> yeah, to do with it? Yeah, I, I was sort of like, I, I had that. no interest. It yeah. was, was, didn't occur to me to do comedy yeah. or be interested. I didn't really know much about the history of footlights or anything, so I didn't right. really. Some people go to Cambridge for footlights Four,
0: purely for that, yeah, 100%. because they're like
1: Dudley Moore, Peter Cook, and mm-hmm. we worship those people, and we're going to be that. And I was like, who are they? I hadn't, who are just, wasn't guys? really yeah. educated on that sort of thing.
0: Can they hit someone with a frying pan? <laughs> Probably not. Would
1: they do Man With The Stick?
0: Yeah. No. Don't think so. Stuff
1: for above. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so I was just, then I started working with Paul King and he was like, well, I like Robert Lepage and Theatre de Complicité, which is all the physical theatre Right. And he was sort of encouraging people to go and see this stuff. And he was like, I want to do theatre company that's like, like that. And I want it to have, you know, things turning into other things and actors becoming things and wow. uh, music sequences and visual stuff and uh, I want to do bits that are funny, but bits that are scary. Um, and I'm looking for a group of performers to do that. And so I started working with him and I was sort of, you know, co-writing this stuff. Like you come up with a sort of sketch in a way, but, you know, there'd be a horror bit or a comedy bit. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it was all mixing all of that stuff. And um, we did like three shows together at university that then crossed over to going to Edinburgh. And we showed it in London as well. And I was really like, this is what I'm going to do. Because it mixes everything that I love—it's I music. I'd say
0: to have that huge mixture of stuff early yeah. on is a massive advantage to kind of have delved into all of it as such. P- particularly when you'd gone off on the direction of, of costume or whatever else, to then come back into it and go right—it can be everything. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Oh, here's this one thing that it is. It can be all of them.
1: Well, that's the thing. I think that's you know. I was never going to be, as I said, like a classical actress yeah, or yeah. a classical playwright or anything like that. It was sort of like I'm happy when I'm sewing a costume that I'm going to be wearing yeah. and making a bit of music that I'm going to be. Before you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, I, I like to have control of all, all of it, which in, in a way is very like directing. Yeah. yeah. So we were making these weird theatre pieces that were kind of interesting and lots of different emotions to them, and and very weird for Cambridge as well. It was seen as being yeah. quite out there. What we were doing. And then um, Richard Ayawaldi and Matt Holness were doing comedy, a comedy show called Garth Marenghi. And they, I'd not met them really. They might have met Richard before, but um, he sort of said to Paul, We need a director and we need an actress. Would Alice do it? And they'd already sort of said, We don't want a comedy actress. We could have had any of these footlights women <laughs> that yeah. they work with, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we want someone who's just an actress. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll be in this show. And it was quite a weird thing that I saw. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and then we sort of worked together and it kind of fitted in how I was going to work with them and um, how Paul was going to direct it. And um, and it was like a massive learning experience because it was very disciplined. You know, Richard really is like a surgeon when it right. comes to like comedy writing. and yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And so that was really new to me. That was like a learning curve. And again,
0: the beauty of that project at an early stage is it was so unique it was completely of its own thing Mm. so there's not that can i do this kind of comedy or can i do that it's like no this is its own it's it's a brand new kind of thing anyway i don't know it's it's hard to articulate you're you're creating a new thing anyway it's it's not compared to anything else the
1: stage show is kind of like a theater parody in a way so there's lots of jokes about bad theatre, but also the ideas behind it were really out there because it's kind of a horror. Yeah. And it's um, really strange, surreal sort of ideas and costumes and props and yeah, odd yeah, things. Yeah. Like we sort of went into hell at one point and you're sort of trying to recreate hell with like a puppet on a stick. Amazing. and stuff. So it's bringing together everything that Paul and I had done, everything that Richard and Matt have created with this very intellectual approach and kind of very thorough comedic approach you know the way they write jokes is yeah. amazing yeah um their writing ability is is really incredible and um but bringing in then me going i want to play a camel <laughs> <laughs> i mean, literally that's what i said to them they were like yeah do you want to have a bit where you get to do whatever you want like and me going yeah i want to play a camel <laughs> and them going okay right <laughs> <do> the, we... <laughs>
0: we weren't expected that but they
1: also they also introduced me to clowning which is right. a thing from Calma Crystal so Calma Crystal had directed a show with Rich Daywardy mm-hmm. um and he'd also worked with Paul King and he is a genius and he works on the Philip Gollier sort of principles which is you know Sasha Baron Cohen's work with Philip Gollier, mm-hmm. lots of comedians it's this sort of thing of like finding out what is funny about you internally and that thing is like a battery it's like a comedy battery that will be with you for the rest of your life it's like your energy source yeah Uh, but it takes a while to find out what that person what that clown is so it's like people say clowns and they think it's about a circus and red noses but it's not it's a much more sort of it's much more ancient kind of thing than that and it's really working out um how are you are funny and again it's this thing of like when you find out the kernel of who you are yeah suddenly it all comes into massive clarity and lucidity yeah, 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 you're yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh i can stop beating myself up about it it's just this you know and i the he Carl Crystal, worked with like noel and julian as well julian barrett yeah. and noel fielding so he kind of goes this is the way you work this is how your interaction is and it's how it will always be yeah and he, he he's sort of like a doctor he sort of diagnoses you and I t-
0: love that it's it's, it's fascinating because it's it's searching for that individual thing that can then be put into a million different roles, mm. so not about recreating the same thing each time. Essentially, the clown that you find inside you is then going to play Ali G, and then he's going to play Borat, and yeah. then he's going to play this and all that. Do you know what I mean? So rather it's than etcetera, Baron Cohen is doing it. It's yeah,
1: yeah. I mean. Because even though those characters that. are very different, yeah. it's coming from the same source. I think he's kind of a bouffant clown. And yeah. that's, um, I don't know a hell of a lot of about it. I'm not an expert, but that's a clown that's very confrontational to the audience. And right, he yeah. puts them in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. So if you think about all of the characters that Sacha Baron Cohen does, where he makes people feel discomfort, because yeah. yeah. as Bruno, he invades their personal space, or he yeah. asks them to do something, he's trying to take their trousers off, or yeah. like... That that's his clown, is he just puts uh, the, people into those.
0: Uh, there's a fascinating, and I know it's not clown clown, but there's a fascinating uh, a thing called Slava Snow Show. Have you oh ever yeah, seen? yeah, uh, yes. I'm a big fan of that, and yeah. and the beauty of that is, again, they tour with a, a group of different clowns who've done exactly that. They have found what kind of clown they are, and some of it is confrontation. They'll be coming into the crowd and shocking you and scaring mm. but that's making you laugh. And others are the most passive, not doing anything silly yeah. at all, but are just so endearing and engaging Mm. and I love that that kind of finding of it of not having a a stereotype or a specific even though in that show all of them except for one have got the exact same face paint (laughs) and outfits and everything but it's finding those individuals so it's, it's giving them the same canvas and going now your whole character is purely in you. It's not mm. how you look, how you stand. It's purely in you. And then...
1: Well, that's what Richard said to it. me. And it was all from his clowning perspective. It's like, you know, one day when I was sort of stressing out about what accent I was going to have doing a particular character in yeah. the show. And I wanted to be Liverpudlian or something. And I was just like, I just don't know. And and Richard just said, look, it's not about what accent you do. It's not about what hat you wear or what shoes you wear or what silly face you... Yeah. You know, face paint you wear or whatever. You're funny. It's not any of those things. You are funny. That won't change. So it doesn't matter what accent you do. And that really stuck with me, actually. And it's quite a good metaphor for the whole of your life. It's like, you know, knowing who you are is like the key to
0: happiness
1: or success or something like that. It's kind of like including your weaknesses as well.
0: Because that is what's going to be with you on every project. in every. um, um, And when I say project, I mean parenthood. Directing social interaction—that—that—that's the one constant—is you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. So it's all of that is like a really useful lesson to learn, especially early on in your career, because you know, and then sort of see people struggling. Especially, I feel quite old now. I am (laughs) quite old, but I see people struggling at that point. You know, maybe they're twenty-eight or something, and they're struggling really with usually they think it's a battle with the outside world yeah but really it's a battle with themselves yeah because they haven't kind of got to that point yet i'm, I'm sounding like yeah i've got it all sorted out i, I haven't that. i was str- I struggle with it myself it and it's like it's almost like an addiction to narcissism where you start going why can't i have what what i want why can't you know and things like facebook can bring it out you know and, yeah. and you can slip and and when you find like that happy place, it's it's like you've got to work at it, you know, Completely. to remember don't be so bloody vain. Or it's not all because about you're you to be like
0: drawn into that vanity and all those yeah. things. An example I can draw from the music industry is people complaining and I've I've i felt it in my career in the past, i go, Oh, why aren't Radio One playing me mm. and someone online say, Oh they're blacklisted us, they've done this or that and then you just kinda of have to look and go, well, why do you want them to? Mm. Particularly as stupid as it sounds, if if they don't want to, yeah, I don't want anyone who doesn't want to play my stuff to play my stuff. That's a weird thing. That's a weird d- desire to have. You mm. should want the people that do want to hear. It's do you know what I mean? When the you people are it, about That's you. when people
1: come to you yeah. as well. That's yeah. the funny thing. It's like when you let go of something and, and stop resisting. That's when it when it happens. It's yeah.
0: finding the the right place and the right home to nurture your particular art and your style of art form and things like that. And we're in a world now where there's there's a lot of different homes and places for all sorts of, of creativity because of the internet, because of the open access to so many things. It's
1: yeah, and it, it, it's actually a good thing. But, uh, but yeah, I think to get back to what we were saying about, yes. you know, where where, <laughs> where it was all coming from. But, I yeah, so I, I kind of did that and then I got into comedy and started doing TV comedy. Yeah. And uh, I think that was not really... It was fine. I mean, it paid the bills. Yeah, 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 But it wasn't really fulfilling what I internally had this desire to do. Yeah. So then I started making short films with a director called Jacqueline Wright. And, uh, and that was much more fulfilling. Because suddenly yeah. I was, like, doing all the music and the... Yeah, that's the thing with film is you can use music and soundscapes and visuals. And yeah. suddenly it came full circle and it's like what I'm doing now is much more like what I was doing earlier on and
0: much more or what you want to do rather than what you've been told that you should want to do because being yeah. on tv that should be the goal yeah if you get there and it's not you're like oh this is what I wanted to do all along that's <laughs> oh, no. kind of
1: well it was like for ages beautiful. I was trying to get a sitcom commissioned mm. because I thought that was what you had to do you know that oh, was kind norm, of like how yeah. you're gonna how you're gonna Pay the bill, how are you going to have a pension when you're old if you haven't had a sitcom? You know, so you're sort of going, it's not enough to have some bit parts in some other people's stuff. I, yeah, I, need, I need to kind of sitcom. have my yeah. sitcom, you know, and I sort of realize it's just not interesting. in yeah. the sitcoms. I yeah. just don't, I don't really like the format that much. I don't really, you know, I'll watch a sitcom, but it's not my favourite thing to watch. Mm-hmm. I'd rather watch a film yeah. or I'd rather watch a drama or, you know, yeah, something I get that you get that. your teeth stuck into. But yeah, it is this thing of like you can get very easily distracted into stuff that isn't, you know, what I should have seen that is is like this is just the, you know keeping the wolf from the door. This is not the be all and end all. Yeah. The stuff that I'm trying to do is this, yeah. and like, and actually, you know, I'm, that's what I'm doing now is what I've what I think yeah. is going to make me really happy and what I should have been doing possibly. But having said that, I don't think you can rush it. I don't no, think you again, can the beauty of
0: it, it is you always can look back at these things and again me looking back over your IMDb it looks like a, a carefully paved plan and it makes perfect a, a sense and then you know you've led to this point and it's at you know it's, it's where it's meant to be yeah. but we need to wrap things up now and we've not given a shout out to where we are we're so we're at the South London Gallery aren't we yeah
1: is, I'm here all the time it's got a brilliant cafe it's it's, a ma- it's amazing here place. I've not
0: been it's got in a it in a garden. long while and it's just been beautifully done up and just it's a yeah, wonderful there's so, so. there's
1: so much to see here there's like activities for kids and you know all sorts going on i really love it but you know i'm here all the time
0: are you a fan of 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 south london or oh, or oh, oh, yeah. oh, we discussed this off. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know why i asked that as if i don't know but, but we both discussed how south, south london is my preferred area of I've london as only well ever when...
1: lived in south london since i came to london yeah and i think what you you just stay where you first arrived yeah. and i just feel comfortable here but um yeah, I mean it's changing a lot, but I feel like Camberwell it's sort of not changing in a really bad way that feels really exclusive. I think, Completely. you know, that I mean this building is a really community building. It's right 100%. next to, you know, Lacanal actually, you know, building that built that burnt down yeah. like, um, a few years ago. Uh well, it's been it's been renovated again yeah. now, but um He's right next door. So, it, yeah. it, it, you know, this is a it's a free it, space. It, it feels
0: it's like in South London, rather than what everyone got angry about in East London, it feels like a lot of the developments, or all of the developments I see, seem to be for the good of the community that yeah. are there, not to get rid of the community that are there or to anything else. It seems they all seem really inclusive and tastefully done and not kind of, let's throw a ton of money at this and leave that in shit. It's like, no, well, we're, we're like, or oh, this is a perfect example of... Of the South London galleries, as you said, they've they've put some money into it, but it's for everyone. It's Mm. for people in the high rises and people in the in the nicer houses like behind the park and stuff like that. It's kind of there's a
1: community. I think there's a real community feeling in Campbellwell. I remember like during the riots, like Campbellwell didn't get trashed. No, no. I think some of that is because some of the shop owners came outside and protected their shops. But I also think there was a feeling of like Campbellwell is it's his own space and it's a community and it's sort of like people are really proud of it i think people have got a real loyalty to to campbell the people that live here because also you are cut off you don't have like a tube station so once you're here you're here and you know i really do go and spend money at the local shops and i do you know i buy into the to it as a village in a way and i think that's a really good thing about it. That's
0: perfect. Well, let's wrap things up. Oh, can, where can I people
1: also talk about prevent? get up to date and
0: everything, and plug <laughs> everything. Yeah, 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 definitely.
1: Yeah, because I, I could easily just waffle on and forget to actually say that the film is out on DVD and yep. Blu-ray.
0: Excellent. And as you
1: said, it's available on iTunes. It's on and iTunes and on, demand, and on demand and everything. Yeah, um, and various other things as well.
0: Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And where can people c- keep up to date with you on social media and stuff like that?
1: I'm I'm just Alice Lowe perfect. on Twitter. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's it then that's perfect well thank you very much for taking the time i oh, appreciate thanks
1: it i've really enjoyed it i've waffled on loads it's great
0: Cheers.
1: <laughs> you've been listening to scooby's picks
0: there we go. That was Alice Lowe. How lovely is she? I hope you enjoyed that. Um, as we mentioned, Prevenge is still um, on uh, like on digital type things. So you can get it on iTunes or on Sky On Demand or any of these type, type places. So go and watch that and enjoy it. And equally, if you fancy the ghoul, then go and check that out. It comes out on Friday. I've not seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, I'll be back next week well actually don't tell anyone because a lot of people tune out on this outro Um, but don't tell anyone but I'm sneaking a bonus podcast in tomorrow but I'm not going to be posting about it on social media I'm going to be keeping dead quiet about it I'm just going to slip it up as a birthday treat for you all Um, so that's going to be happening tomorrow but don't tell anyone but next week I've got Laurie Penny on who again we had a fantastic chat she's a great young lady um uh, broadly described as a, f- a feminist writer and journalist um self-proclaimed nerd so yeah it was a really good chat and we we we, we got into a really a lot of really interesting subjects so I hope you're gonna enjoy that one so for now I shall leave you all to it um please don't rate and review um there's so many other podcasts out there that really you know, want your ratings and reviews. So I've decided, fuck you, like, g- 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 go and give them the rating and reviews. I, I don't, I don't even want it, mate. I don't even want it. I don't know what it does. I realised that for two years I was saying, please r- rate and review on iTunes because I hear it at the end of all the podcasts I love. And I don't really know what it, like, I don't go and, I've never gone and checked the ratings and reviews on distraction pieces. I don't know what they are. We could have terrible, I don't know if they help us in the charts. I mean, maybe you should go rate and review. Maybe ignore me. Maybe it'd be a good thing if you went and rated and reviewed, but I don't know, man. It seems, it seems a bit much to me. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. I'll see you later.